You're listening to Twin Day, a show all about empowering Black and Brown entrepreneurs to thrive. This podcast is powered by Bank of America. Twin Day, meaning Let's Go in Kiswahili, is a Tennessee accelerator program that's leveling the playing field for Black and Latina founders. I'm Brittany Cole, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and your host of the Twin Day podcast. You can expect to hear stories of entrepreneurs thriving in their businesses, insights from organizations that support founders of color, and get access to resources to help you grow and scale your business. For more content like this, visit TwinDayPodcast.com and follow anywhere you get your podcasts. Let's dive in. Well, welcome to a live recording of the Twin Day Podcast. I, I'm so honored to be sitting next to Donald Miller, affectionately, affectionately known, I believe, as, as Don. So, Don, I'm just going to have you introduce yourself for people that may not be familiar. They may be familiar with StoryBrand or may not know a lot about your story. Tell us a little bit about who you are, and then we'll get into the conversation. Yeah, I'll give you a Reader's Digest version of it. I... Uh Grew up in Houston, Texas, moved to Portland, Oregon when I was 21 and spent 20 years there as a writer, writing memoirs and kind of creative works. And I wrote about seven of those and they did really well. And the publisher kept wanting one more and one more and one more. And um, I think if you write your eighth memoir, you're a clinical narcissist. And so I'm just a regular narcissist. So I decided not to do that and just took a chance on this, this storytelling slash marketing book that had been in me, and honestly, it was, you know, the book was, you know, how did ancient narrative structures lay over a communication filter, which is gonna sell four copies. And um, my mother was gonna buy three of those, uh, and then it, it did really well. And so my career pivoted into helping people with messaging and marketing, and I loved that. Uh, I loved helping other people bring their stories into the world, and then that amazingly uh, took off. So sooner or later, I had 30 employees and hundreds of people certified in the structure. And so now I'm running a company and had to figure out how to run a company. And then I, I kind of spend some years figuring something out. And then I write a book about how I did it. That's my whole shtick. And so the, the new book is about how to do that. So, you know, started with a literary career and have moved into a business career. I call it a second act. And, uh, and I'm enjoying the second act. And uh, more importantly, I uh, live here in Nashville, Tennessee now for the, about, for the past 10 years. Got married about 10 years ago to uh, uh, a woman I love named Betsy. And we have a, she will be two at the end of June. And that occupies 97% of my time. And the other 3% we'll talk about today. Yeah, Emmeline <laughs> runs the house. Emmeline, yes. she, runs, she runs the universe, I think. So we're here on the Twin Day podcast, and I want to answer, I want you to answer the question that's in people's minds that they may not ask out loud, which is, <laughs> and we've talked about this, so what is a white guy doing on the Twin Day podcast for black and brown founders? So let's just, let's just speak to the elephant that's in the room, right? Can we, can we do that a little bit? And I want to actually kick off this question with a quote that I heard you say, which like shocked me. I'm like, wait, okay, let me turn the volume up on this. And so you said if, if black entrepreneurship was a stock, you would bet all of your money on it. Tell, it. tell me a little bit about what that means to you and why you have that perspective. I would buy heavy uh, because I think that it's time. Uh, I think that out of hardship and struggle can either come disaster or incredible accomplishment. And when I think about the future of America, what our next evolution is gonna look like, you wanna look to the people who have been through very hard things and stimulated creativity and are coming up 
And that's why I would place a lot of stock in black entrepreneurialism. I wish it were more of a bleeding heart perspective, but I'm just kind of looking at the data going, oh, this is going to be pretty good here in a minute. Uh, and so I and wanted to somehow contribute to that. Not, uh, you can't buy stock in, in obviously right. uh, a race, but uh, I wanted to be able to say, you know, maybe I can contribute to uh, some of the creativity. I'm a patriot at heart. I love this country. I think if we embrace the diversity that we have before us, I think it will go a lot further in, in, in the next evolution of what it means to be an American. And, uh, and so it's, just, it's, not, it's not just uh, people, of, it's not just black people, it's Latinos. Uh, there's huge opportunities there. And I think the more we embrace a positive attitude about the opportunities that are before us, the, the better we're gonna do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we think about the work of inclusion and equity, you know, it's obvious to think that the group that you're doing the work for is the group that supports it the most. But certainly, um, you're such a great model and example of how really the work of DEI is everyone's job. It's everyone's work. And so how are we all playing a role in that? When you look at, uh, you mentioned data, so the chances of becoming a millionaire, it's about 20% chance if you're a white American and about 2% if you are black or Latina. And so I know you have over 200 coaches in terms of your business teaching masterminds and you are teaching one, and it's been such a joy to be a part of the Black-Owned Business cohort. Talk to us a little bit about why you started that cohort and really what you've learned over these last couple of years, working exclusively inviting Black-owned uh, entrepreneurs into your into your home and, and helping us to grow and scale our business. Yeah, well, um, I, it all happened a couple of years ago, a little more than two years ago, I think now, uh, when George Floyd was killed. And I, and I remember exactly where I was. I was back in the den uh in, in our home, watching, you know, just being heartbroken, uh, you know, just being heartbroken. And then, you know, scrolling through Instagram and seeing the comments and realizing, I don't want to put up an Instagram post. That cannot be our response. And didn't want to model that for my team. So we, we got together as a team. Everybody came on. I said, hey, I, I think we need to not issue any sort of public statement about this. I think we need, what we need to do needs, we need to, uh, do something about this that would be obvious two years from now looking back. And my team was like, what are you talking about? And so we, we just brainstormed some ideas. And one of the ideas, I certified business coaches. That's what I do. And did not have my own small group. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, well, what if, my, what if I was the only white guy in my small group? That might be kind of fun. And we ended up having a meeting. Kirby was there and Mignon was there. Some folks in the room were there. Uh, we just had dinner one night, and I realized pretty quickly, oh, this is going to be a heart journey, much more than a business journey. And we have since become, uh, I mean, the, you know, the people in my cohort, I've called them and asked for advice. Uh, I consider some of them spiritual brothers and sisters. Uh, and we've just had an amazing time over the last two years. And I think it's true that everybody's business has more or less grown. Our, our, our struggle is to actually get together and talk about business because we're usually eating food, talk gossiping or whatever. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's become a little bit more of a family thing. Uh, but I think we're all making money, I'm pretty sure. I've seen the cars they drive, and they drive very nice cars. Uh-oh. Park in the back <laughs> next time. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about your journey and kind of the genesis for this book. So actually, on your launch day, you came over to the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, shared yeah. some signed copies with us. And so it's a joy to have you back. You tell a story early on in the book, How to Grow Your Small Business, that you had a mentor share with you that you need to professionalize yeah. your operation. Tell us that story and then talk about how that shifted your approach to your own business. 
Well, I didn't say who the mentor was in the book, but it was actually the governor of Tennessee. I just call him Bill. His name was Bill Haslam. It still is Bill Haslam, as far as I know. Uh, and he, my wife and I moved to Tennessee. Uh, we didn't know hardly anybody. And I had a friend who called me and said, hey, Don, I, I have uh, a friend who is a, a, a Palestinian, and his daughter was killed by Israeli guards. And an Israeli woman whose son was killed by a Palestinian sniper, and they have become friends. And they would like, they we're doing a little tour around America, and they want to come to your house and talk about why they're friends and why there's hope in the Middle East. Obviously, an issue I care about. And uh, he said, Can you invite like influential people to your house? And I said, Yes, I'm so excited about this. And I realized I don't know anybody influential. And so I emailed the governor's office because somebody told me that the governor's mansion was near us, and that if we saw somebody, being chased by police, it was probably the governor running through the neighborhood. And um, I mean, for exercise. And, uh, and so I emailed, I thought, what kind of place is Tennessee? I emailed the governor's office and just said, hey, we're having this thing. And if the governor wants to show, I hear he lives in the neighborhood. And the man walks through the door. And uh, I leaned, I'll never forget, I was in the kitchen. I leaned over to my wife and said, Google the governor's name of Tennessee, because I don't know who this is. And luckily, we pronounced it right. We kind of became friends. And he uh, continued to sort of just be interested in, he, he mentors a lot of, Bill Haslam still mentors a lot of small business owners. Uh, and he became a friend, and, and he watched my company grow. And at one point, we had been meeting in the house, and I think this is after he was out of office, and we were standing in the driveway, and uh, I said something like, I really want to scale the company to 100 million. And he looked at me for the first time, and I could tell he doesn't believe that that's going to happen. <laughs> and I said, Governor, what, you know, what do you think it is? And he said, Don, if you really want that to happen, you're going to have to professionalize your operation. You are making it up as you go. You're wearing all the hats. You are, and he just outlined everything that, I mean, everything he said just rang true to me. And uh, that was the beginning of this book and me realizing, okay, we've got to create systems and processes that uh, make this thing run like a machine. And I know we're all human beings and we're not cogs and wheels, but at the same time, people operate really better when there are boundaries and there are job descriptions and there are roles and all those sorts of things. So as leaders, we've got to figure out how to do that. And I think it's a stage of developing a small business where you realize we can't just be winging it. We've, we've got to create some systems and processes. And, and I did that. And, the, and the, the business went from about three million to uh, this year we'll do between 17 and 18 million. So we're, you know, we're doing a lot better about five years later. And, um, and we're still figuring it out, but this is everything that we did to professionalize those operations. They happen to be in six categories, uh, leadership, sales, marketing, overhead and operations, product optimization, and cash flow. And so we created frameworks to run each of those six divisions of a business. Those tend to be the six things that go wrong with 65% of small businesses, and 65% of small businesses crash. Uh, and so we hope that this prevents, you know, my, my internal goal was to, to write a book that changes that number from 65 to about 50%, which is still dismal. But, you know, it would help at least. Yeah, so I, I took the book back to my team, and they're like, oh gosh, here she comes. Oh, no. we're, <laughs> we're, we're starting over, we're starting over. But where you started and where the book starts, I think is such... I mean, it definitely took me back to thinking like, what really is the mission of Career Thrivers and how do I connect it to our economic objective? So you talk about three reasons why the most 
entrepreneurs have a mission that's ineffective. There's no economic objective, there's no why, and there's no deadline. So talk to us a little bit about like the importance of having an economic focused mission yeah. for your company. Well, it's gonna be a little controversial, but let me just put it out there for us to debate and discuss. I, most, um, most authors like me who teach business uh, do so from, I think, a sort of wishful thinking perspective. And that is, hey, just put the customer first and love people and you'll make plenty of money. And I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I, I think it's kind of like just saying, hey, just have a good attitude and you'll lose weight. Y you won't. Uh, <laughs> you have to get on the rowing machine and pull the rope. That's kind of how that works. And I, so I think what I, and I sort of tried some of that and then realized, wait, none of this is working. We, we actually have to say, we're gonna sell this many units of this and this many units of this and this many units of this. And then we have to reverse engineer how we're going to do that. And then we have to do that in, in a way that is profitable. In other words, a business is an economic machine. It exists to make money and it exists to make profitable dollars. This is a very uncomfortable thing to talk about in culture because we associate this with greedy people who are money hungry and they don't care about us, they're only transactional and all those things are absolutely true and they are, they are off-putting and yet also a business is an economic machine. And so living in the contrast of those two things being true is where we have to live as, as business leaders. And so what we developed was a mission statement that had three characteristics to it. One is you're actually going to choose three economic objectives for your organization over a given period of time. And I wish we could choose nine or ten because most of us have nine or ten or more. But the human mind actually, all the studies show that the human mind has trouble prioritizing more than three ideas. And so if you can just prioritize three economic objectives at one time for a period of time, you're much more likely to meet those. So the trick is to find the three economic objectives that affect the bottom line the most. And so, you, you know, it's, Pareto principle applies to almost all of our businesses. 20% of our products are making 80% of our revenue. 20% of our customers are actually giving us 80%. The trick is to figure out which one is the 20% and focus on those. And so it, our mission statement is we will accomplish X by Y because of Z. It's a formula. And the X are the three economic objectives that you will set for your organization. The, the uh, Y is the deadline. Uh, urgency tends to be increased when you create a deadline. We're going to accomplish these three things by, ours happens to be January 1 of 2024. We wrote it two years ago. We're getting closer and closer to it. So the urgency is moving up. As we get closer, we're, we're doing well, but we're not on track to hit those goals. And you should see my team talking about that uh, in a way that is not passive. And then the Z gets into the more heartfelt stuff that so many business writers talk about. And that is why we're in this in the first place. And we're not in this for the money. Uh, we're in this because every small business owner deserves help, the help that they need to run a business. It shouldn't be a mystery how to do this. That's our particular why. But, you know, Simon Sinek has written extensively about this. So the, the, the mission statement, we will accomplish X by Y because of Z, sets economic priorities and objectives, allows us to measure those objectives. There is a deadline which creates urgency. And by the way, we're not just in this for the money. We're in this because there's a cause behind this mission. And by the way, if we don't hit our economic objective, we don't meet our mission. And so it embraces, I think, the reality of human beings running businesses. And it's been incredibly, an incredibly effective mission statement for us. And so I open up the book with, let's just deconstruct from the very beginning how you're going to run this business. And, and uh, it's worked well for us and for, you know, 
probably thousands of other business owners who've, who've adopted it. Now, if you have a mission statement and you use it and you did a 48-hour retreat where you wrote it and it's written in the blood of everybody in your organization, just call this mission statement a goal statement and keep your other mission statement and pretty soon everybody's going to ignore the other one and they're going to use this one. Um, I was in a, real quick, Brittany, I was in a, one of these towers up here not, not too long ago. I think it was actually right over there. I won't say the name of the business. But I was in the C-suite with a bunch of executives, and they talked about, well, we're not going to change our mission statement because we love our mission statement. We did a two-day retreat. Everybody in this room was there. It is written on the wall outside of this conference room. We have painted our mission statement law. We're not changing our mission statement. And I looked at the CFO. I chose the CFO. And I said, were you at the retreat? He said, yes. And I said, was it a powerful time, super powerful time? I said, what's the mission statement? And he didn't know. <laughs> and so I said, your mission statement isn't working. I said, well, no, it's working. I said, well, this guy doesn't know it. So if he doesn't know, if he's forgotten the mission statement, he's forgotten the mission. And so we have to be able to say, no, this is what it is. It's not sexy. Lawyers aren't going to like it. But it is a, it is a series of facts that we are going to put into place. And, uh, and so I strongly recommend, as the foundation of your organization, setting a mission that includes economic objectives, not just a heartfelt piece of poetry. Yeah, that's that's so good. I know I asked you about this in the mastermind, and maybe it's the approach of like the flowery one is the inter the external one that's like on your website. There you go. And the internal one is like the one that everyone knows. That's right. So, I yeah. wouldn't go to my customer and say we want you to buy this, this, and <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an internal document. Yeah, and I think that's so important for Black and Latina founders because when we go back to the data in the U.S., the average revenue of a Black-owned business is less than $20,000 a year. Now, that's not the founders in our twin-day accelerator program, <laughs> okay? Um, but, I mean, it's so startling, and it just really paints the picture of why focusing on the economic objectives really matters from the start. And so I want to open it up for questions in the room. If you're listening in on the podcast, we have so many brilliant founders that are in the room with us. We have some mic runners, and so we want to give you all an opportunity while we have Don with us to ask a question. I believe we may have one in the back to kick us off. And then we hope that you all, I see some hands in the back here. We hope that you all have something to write with because we're actually going to transition here in about five to 10 minutes. We'll take a couple of questions. And Don is so gracious to walk us through a workshop which is chapter three in the book of how to craft a million dollar sales pitch. And so we're gonna get the screen down, the slides rolling, and really get into things. Here's our first question from the audience. Hey, thank both of you, this is amazing. Uh, Don, how has uh, faith impacted, you know, just how you run a business, operate and serve people in your organization? Uh, you mean my, 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 my religious faith? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, because if you're talking about the faith that it's gonna work, I have none of that. The, um, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I grew up in a, a very conservative Southern Baptist Christian home in Houston, Texas, and moved to Portland, Oregon, where I attended Reed College, which had two distinctions. The smartest students in the country, uh, average IQ was two points above genius, and the most secular campus in all of America. <laughs> so it was really, it was a bunch of very, very uh, atheistic nerds is what it was. And that, my faith was just entirely reconstructed. And so I built a writing career just talking about all that stuff out of, out of Portland, which is very different than Nashville. Um, and then when I started in business, one of the things that I, you know, I, I struggled with is what is the, what is the, the sort of uh, the universal uh, benefit of helping people 
make money? And, and that question was answered to me so very quickly and easily that, that almost, almost everything improves when people have money. Almost everything. Their ability to get healthcare, their ability to put kids in a better school, their ability to live in a better neighborhood, their ability to defend themselves. Ability, the actual character it takes to be able to pull it off, for, for the most part, uh, everything just gets it improved. And so, you know, I would have people come up to me when I wrote books and say, man, you know, you really saved my faith. And, you know, it's really wonderful to read this stuff. And I always felt kind of alone. They would say these things that are very difficult for me to measure. And I actually felt a stronger reward when people come up to me and say, hey, we were a quarter million dollar year company. Now we're a seven million dollar year company. And it's because we read your book. And I will say almost all what do you do with the money? They said, well, you know, after about the bass boat, we started giving to charity or whatever. <laughs> you know, they're honest about it. And, I, and to me, that was just, I like being able to measure results. And for me, the, the results that we could measure in this particular, uh, in helping people grow businesses was very, very rewarding. So uh, I still consider what I'm doing an active part of my belief in God. And I, you know, my core beliefs, my religion down into a nutshell, is there is good and there is evil and we get to tip the scales. That's it. I just wake up every day and say, Don, Good, evil, and you get to tip the scales, tip it in the right direction today. And, uh, you know, business is a great way to do that. Love it. Religion made simple, business made Religion simple. Religion made simple, yeah, don't, I'm not yeah. going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Excited about what, what's coming next. <laughs> next question. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned that 65% of businesses don't make it, and um, you identified six facets of the business that need to be worked on. Question is, uh, if usually an entrepreneur is struggling with more than one of those at the same time. So, you know, I guess depending on what level that entrepreneur is on, how do you allocate time or how do you focus maybe on sales, marketing and operations at the same time? And, and how do you figure out how to spend your time and focus your energy? Well, if you're starting a business, you can actually do them relatively in order. Uh, if you have been lucky enough to succeed in business, because you have such a good product or because you are such a charismatic person or, be, you know, for whatever reason, or God forbid you have private equity that's funding a terrible organization, you, that, now you got to deconstruct and reconstruct the whole thing, which I think is a much harder thing to do. But, you, you know, you start with your, your personal leadership. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the epiphany that most people have that, that if, the, if, you, if you succeed in life, you just have to own it. Uh, you are, if, if anything goes wrong in your organization, it is your fault. I don't care who did it, it is your fault. If you have that attitude, even though that may not be true, you're probably gonna make it. Uh, and then once you, once you do that, get your mission statement, guiding principles, all that down, and then you, you, the next more, most important thing is to move into the marketing side of it. Your, your leadership and your marketing can actually be completely constructed without quitting your day job. You can actually start your business on paper before you ever quit your job. And that way, when you jump into the entrepreneurial journey, you are light years ahead of where most, most people are. And then after that, you gotta, you gotta take the jump. So, you know, I, I think um, it is a luxury to be able to reconstruct the organization as it's, as it's growing because you have to have the profit margins to be able to do that, or you have to have investor funding to be able to do it, but the sooner you do it, the better. Uh, but there are multiple ways, there are multiple ways to do it. And, and I wish uh, it could be a linear journey, but it's usually not. One of the reasons that I, one of the things I say is when you read the book, 
you don't have to start at chapter one. Start wherever you're struggling. You know, if, you, if your marketing just isn't working, start with chapter three. Uh, if you don't have a sales team yet and you want to put one into, into play, start with chapter four. If you're just getting started, chapters one, two, and five, uh, getting your products right uh, is chapter five, is really important. So, you know, it's basically a, a resource where you can just use it as you need it. And if you have built a company that's got a couple million dollars laying around at the end of the year and you know you need to deconstruct and rebuild the whole thing, then you, have, you actually have the margin to be able to do that. And once you do that, you should see really great growth. Our last question. Yeah, so the, the question is, as so many people work remotely, how do you keep your culture going and keep the mission, you know, the priorities in place as, as people just aren't in the same office? Is that fair to say that's what the question was, as I heard it? Okay, so, yeah, there's a, there's a very formulaic answer in Chapter 5. Of, chapter 4 is actually the one you need on products. Chapter 5 is the one on, on operations. But uh, there are five meetings that we put in place. I spent probably half a million dollars trying to answer that exact question uh, with outside consultants and people that I brought in from larger organizations. And what it basically came down to uh, in terms of our prescription for that was a form of Japanese management called lean management. And we, we uh, operate our company using five meetings, the all-staff meeting, the leadership meeting, the department stand-ups, the priority speed checks, and the quarterly performance reviews. If you install those five meetings inside of most organizations, certainly anything with maybe 3,000 or less employees, it's going to be really, really effective for you. So you have to have a cadence of predictable meetings. I know on Monday this morning at 10 a.m. we had an all-staff meeting. At 10.45 we had a leadership meeting. You know, it just happens every single week at the exact same time. And the, the book actually comes with a piece of online software that allows you to organize those meetings and go back and archive. You can go back 50 le leadership meetings ago and see where, what you were talking about, whether or not you accomplished those things. So there is a system to being able to do it. That said, the key inside of all of those meetings is to remind everybody what the three economic objectives of the organization are, because in about 12 minutes after the meeting, they will forget. And so you have to state it over and over. Here are the three things we're trying to accomplish. And what I found is really quickly after stating those three economic objectives, it became a filter. So we'd be sitting in leadership meetings and somebody would say, well, what if we do this? We'd talk for about three or four minutes and somebody would say, wait a second, that doesn't actually serve any of the economic objectives that we've outlined. And all of a sudden we're saying, well, then we shouldn't do it. And now we're not doing it. So it created a filter to stop a bunch of work that isn't really necessary uh, or isn't helping us reach our objectives. Uh, so you know, to keep morale and everything high, it is a propaganda campaign. There is a campaign to state the same thing over and over and over until you are blue in the face Here's where we are going. Here's where we are going. And then somebody comes to you and says, can we do this? What does that have to do with what we were trying to do? Nothing. We're not doing it. And moving on. And so, you know, without that, I think, uh, I think it's very, very difficult to create a winning culture. So that's the, part, that's the part where you reach your objectives. The other part is we're dealing with human beings. And what I've had to learn as somebody who, you know, doesn't do this very well, I've had to figure it out, 
was how to actually listen, because <laughs> I'm not a listener by nature. I'm a talker, and here's what we're doing, and that this is where we're going, and here's where we're going to do it. And I think being married has helped me figure out that that doesn't work. Um, my whole dating life is explained in, in my inability to listen. And so now it's such a wonderful thing for me to actually add that to our culture of understanding where people are, repeating back to them, is, do you feel like you're struggling with this? and sort of creating those human connections. I now literally see that as part of business building, where I used to see it as soft skills that I wish didn't have to exist. And now I'm like, wait, this is a, actually a competitive advantage if you actually create teams that, uh, that know that you, that you care about them. So part of our culture is, you know, somebody asked me recently, she got a promotion, and she said, Don, I wanna know what's your number one value. I know, I've heard you talk. I said, do you really wanna hear it? And she said, yes, I said, winning, period. If you want to stay, we win, period. And that's what this culture is about. It's about winning. Now, family first. If your kid's in a play, I don't want you in the meeting. Right? So you got to figure out how to get to that play and win. And she's like, got it. I said, good. Well, let's go. You know, you got, you, we, we all have hearts. And you start ignoring those hearts, you're going to lose. Absolutely. You're going to lose. Absolutely. And our heart here at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, as you all know, we are the front door of entrepreneurship in Nashville, helping Nashville to become the number one place to start and grow a business. And so we do that by connecting founders like you to resources. And that includes Black and Latina founders, which is one of the reasons why we have our Twin Day Accelerator program. So, Don, thank you for the work that you do I'm and continue to, to do. Thank you so much for sharing with us on the Twin Day podcast. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Twin Day Podcast. Follow now at twindaypodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Twin Day Accelerator program, please visit twindayaccelerator.co. I'm Brittany Cole. Until next time, keep thriving. <laughs>